0: for the message, for the truth that He has for you uh, in a day. And you'll, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed when you uh, give your heart and your mind to that and not dismiss it. I just wanted to say thank you to those who were involved in music today uh, for the thoughtfulness, and uh, it fits very well with what the Lord has for us today. John chapter 18, and we're going to read several verses here. Um, so follow along. We're going to start in verse 12, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Again, John chapter 18 here is what we'll find is that, that Jesus is, is going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be tried before his enemies. And what you're going to see, and we started this last week, is that through all of this, Uh, Jesus demonstrates a strength of character that paints a wonderful picture for us, an example for us. And when it came time for Jesus to fulfill God's will concerning uh, the payment for sin and salvation of mankind, when Jesus went to the cross, we don't find Jesus running from the task. On the contrary, what we find is Jesus carrying out God's redemptive plan without flinching, without failing, because it was God's will and there was no other way. And and so this is the idea and the thought as we read. So I want you to follow along as we read. And what we'll find is that Jesus was no victim. Jesus was no victim of circumstance in any of these things. Instead, Jesus was the master of the moment. And, and so let's read in verse 12 all the way down through the end of the chapter. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple that disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple which was known unto the high priest and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servant and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now the scene switches back to Jesus again. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, where the Jews always report, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself They said, therefore, unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your laws. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die." Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all, but ye have a custom that I should release unto you uh, one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This chapter, as we said last week, can be broken up into three categories or three sections, and, and, and what we see in this chapter is Jesus and His deity. And today, what we're going to look at is Jesus' dignity, and then finally, Jesus' destiny. And all of these we find in this chapter. Last week, we talked about Jesus and His deity in verses 1 through 11. And several times in this chapter, Jesus both uh, claimed and proved His deity to those around Him. Throughout his ministry, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. He said in John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He had made the claim to be Jehovah God, the self-existent, self-identifying one. He had proven those claims time and time again with the miracles that he performed. No man could do this unless he was of God. And so here in the closing hours of Jesus' life, he once again claims equality with God. When the Bible tells us in, in the first 11 verses that Judas received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, and they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. And when they came to Jesus, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He goes out to meet them and he says, Whom seek ye? In verse 5, the Bible says they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And we talked about how the statement that Jesus makes is simply, I am. Claiming to be Jehovah God. And we find this to be an exclamation of his deity. Verse 6 shows his power because the Bible says, As soon then as he said unto them, I am he, he. They went backward and fell to the ground. Simply the word of his mouth demonstrated power to... And we talked about how there were hundreds, hundreds of men uh, covering the hillside that night. And they all went backward and fell to the ground simply by the word of his mouth. Verse 10 shows us his power to heal. In verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest. Servant and cut off his right ear, the servant's name was Malchus. Now, when we do some cross referencing, we find that what happened here is as soon as Peter cut off Malchus's ear, Jesus reached out and touched him, and his ear was made whole. And we find the power in just one touch from the master. And we talked about how the touch of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spiritual life can transform and make somebody brand new. Amen? The healing power of the touch of Jesus Christ. All of those things proved His deity, that He truly was God in the flesh. But today I want us to look at Jesus and His dignity. And we started in verse 12, and we read down through verse 36, and we find Jesus demonstrating and displaying dignity In all the things that happened to him, even as Jesus was being led away to an illegal trial on trumped up charges, Jesus maintained his dignity. Not one time do we see Jesus begging. Not one time do we see him crying out for his freedom. Not one time do the lips of our Savior speak words of injustice or unfair treatment. He was dignified the whole time. And you say, well, that doesn't seem to say very much. What do you you mean by that pastor? And it, it may not seem like it means much, but it simply reminds us that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. Not one aspect of this trial, as illegal as it was, as false as it was, not one aspect of it caught him off guard. He knew every single bend in the road. He knew exactly what was going to be faced, and he did it according to the will of God his Father. Now let's see a couple of these areas where Jesus showed dignity. First of all, he showed dignity in his arrest. Look at verse 12. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was high priest that same year. So we we get the narrative here that all of these these band and the officers, they arrested Jesus and they led him away. When the soldiers came to carry Jesus away, Jesus didn't resist them. He didn't retaliate against them. You know how you see, uh, as is so typical and so common in our culture now, the police show up to you know, to the scene, and they arrest somebody, and you, what do you see? You find, instead of uh, humble, res- uh, you know, acceptance, what you find is, is a lot of resistance. Uh, you see video of that all the time in our culture, and the police are trying to do their job, and, and they're getting nothing but flack and resistance and retaliation to the authority. That's not what Jesus did. He submitted to them. He went to the trial. Why? Because he was determined to fulfill God's plan for the redemption of mankind. At any moment, Jesus could have destroyed his captors with a single word from his mouth, and yet he allowed it to happen. Now look at verses 19 through 24. Not only do we see him dignified in his rest, but we see it in his arraignment. In verse 19, the Bible says the high priest then asked Jesus... Of his disciples, and of his, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I, sp- I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always report. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, One of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. Now skip to verse 28. Then led they they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now why is that significant? Well, because after Jesus was arrested, he was forced to appear before Caiaphas, the high priest. He was forced to appear before Pilate and be tried. But during that trial, Jesus was subject to all kinds of injustices. The trial that Jesus was under was a, quote, capital trial. The crimes that he was accused of were punishable by death. But we need to understand this that when it came to a capital trial in the Jewish culture or custom, there were all kinds of extra rules that they needed to follow to ensure that it was a fair trial. The problem was that the Jews broke all kinds of their own laws just in order to try Jesus. This was absolutely a kangaroo court. Scholars say that at Jesus' trial... They broke at least 18 of the Mosaic laws that were meant to protect the accused. For example, an arrest could not be made at night. Jesus was arrested at night. The time and date of the trial was illegal because it took place not only at night, but it took place on the eve of the Sabbath. This time precluded any chance that was required for an adjournment to the next day in the event of a conviction. Jesus never got that. A guilty sentence couldn't be handed down on the day following a trial, not according to Jewish law. The Sanhedrin didn't have authority to instigate charges. It was only supposed to investigate charges brought before it. In Jesus's trial, the court itself formulated the charges. The charges against Jesus were also changed during the trial. It started out with the charge of blasphemy. By the time it got to Pilate, it was a charge of insurrection, that he was a king. He wasn't about to pay taxes to the Roman government. They're trying to get Rome on their side. The requirement of two witnesses in agreement to merit the death penalty wasn't met. Mark chapter 14 and verse 56 says, For many bear false witness against him. But their witness agreed not together. They couldn't even get their own false witnesses to agree. It was breaking their own law. The court didn't meet in the regular meeting place of the Sanhedrin, which was required by the Jewish law. Jesus wasn't permitted a defense at all. Under Jewish law, an exhaustive search into the facts presented by witnesses should have occurred. None of that happened. The Sanhedrin pronounced a death sentence. But under the law, the Sanhedrin was not allowed to convict and put to death the death sentence into effect. They even made mention of this in John 18, verse 31. Notice this. Then said Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. They even made mention of it, but they're breaking their own law. And we could go on and on and talk about all of the other things that happened that were illegal in this trial. That's not necessarily the point, though. The point is this. Through all of that injustice, and through all the lies, and through all the deception, Jesus maintained his dignity. Here's the creator of the universe standing before the creature taking every blow that they could send His way, and He did it because it was part of God's plan for the redemption of mankind. But in doing that, Jesus left us an example. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And look at verse 20 with me. 1 Peter 2. In verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Am I in the right place? I'm in chapter 1. Like, that is not making sense. I need to be in chapter 2. Yes, chapter 2. Sorry, let's start back in verse 20 of chapter 2. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. "...for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. "...who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again." When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, according to these verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, patient forbearance is something that is commendable conduct in the sight of God. And you would say, well, because notice here, the context is enduring false treatment. He says in verse twenty, For what glory is it if, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. That's the context in which Peter is writing. And he goes on to give an example of Jesus Christ, who left us that example that we should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again, etc., etc. You say, well, pastor, that's hard to do. I know it's hard to do because it's not our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to resist Our natural inclination is to defend ourselves when we are in the right and we're being mistreated. We want to stand up for our rights, don't we? Because I'm right and I'm being mistreated and the way that you're treating me is not right. And there needs to be justice here. There needs to be something done. That's our natural inclination. I'm doing right and I'm being mistreated in in return. And that's not fair. That's not right. That's our inclination. But that's not what Jesus did. And to appreciate why patiently enduring suffering while doing good is commendable before God, we need to notice what Peter says here in verse 21. In verse 21 of 1 Peter 2, he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And he says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Why is is patient forbearance in the middle of suffering commendable before God? Well, first of all, Peter says, because we're called to that very purpose. Christians are called to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus suffered patiently when he was mistreated without cause, so should we. We have therefore been called to respond to ill treatment with good treatment. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, But contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. We could go over to Luke chapter 6. In fact, let's go there. Luke chapter 6. And look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 in verse 27. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. There's something we need to work on. To pray for those who despitefully use us or who despise us or who treat us wrongly. To pray for them. Do we pray for them? Verse 29, and unto them that smiteth thee on the cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. If ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye have hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful." Jesus says, do good to your enemies. Jesus says, patient forbearance is the key. Peter said that patient forbearance is acceptable conduct to God. And we're called to follow the example of Jesus. But why? Why is the question? When you go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, and you look at verse 24, you find the reason why. The reason why is because of the potential good that can result from it. What was the potential good? Well, Jesus, look what the Bible says in verse 24 of 1 Peter 2. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes Ye were healed, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Why did Jesus handle mistreatment the way that he did? Why did he not revile again or threaten? Because of because of what was going to be accomplished, Jesus accomplished by his patient forbearance our redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. The restoration of straying sheep back to the shepherd of their souls. This is the reason. How would it have gone? What would have happened if Jesus retaliated? Jesus threatened back when he was mistreated? I don't know. I don't know exactly, but I know this, that Jesus followed the plan of God for the redemption of mankind. This was part of it. The suffering of abuse and mistreatment. And Jesus left us an example that we should follow his steps. And what I'm saying is this. By following the example of Jesus, when we've been mistreated, we can have an effect for good as well. Returning good for evil, we are more likely to overcome that evil. What does Romans 12, 19 say? Dearly beloved... Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto the wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The point is this Jesus suffered. We benefited from the suffering of Jesus Christ. We were moved by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for our sins. And listen, the point is this. In our own life, when we are mistreated at times, our natural inclination is to retaliate. Our natural inclination is to want justice, to want something to happen in return, to make it fair. But you know what? Sometimes it's not fair. Life's not fair. But we can be responsible and are responsible for how we respond to unfair treatment. And the truth is that we may just move people toward Jesus Christ more effectively by patiently doing good even when we've been mistreated. That's why we've been called to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus maintained his dignity even in his arraignment, even in his arrest, even when he was mistreated because of what was going to happen, the redemption of mankind. There's another aspect. Go back to John. I hope hope that made sense to you. It's a, a principle that God's people often need to be reminded of that Christ suffered for us. Sometimes we're called to do the same thing. Go back to John chapter 18 and we see another area in which Jesus maintained his dignity. And I've called it his alienation. Maybe this was one of the most most difficult things for Jesus to walk through. The utter and bitter rejection by the very people that said they loved him. Even in the midst of being rejected by people who said they loved him, Jesus maintained his dignity. And we find Jesus suffering at the hands of enemies, certainly, but we also find Jesus suffering at the hands of friends. Notice those who turned on Jesus in these verses. First of all, in verses 2 and 3, we find, of course, he was betrayed by Judas. The Bible says, "In Judas also, which betrayed him knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas betrayed Jesus. This man who had lived and walked with Jesus for three years turned on him and led captors to him. And you think about it in terms of of all that Jesus invested into him. Jesus was fully man. Jesus understood human emotion. He went through human emotion. Think of the heart of Jesus toward Judas in all that was, was bound to happen. Even though Jesus knew, Jesus still loved Judas, even unto the end. And here's a man who, who walked with him for three years and led his captors to him. You think about how that must have stung the heart of Jesus in the, because he loved Judas to the very end. If you read over in, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 47, Judas came to Jesus and he identified him with a kiss. So others would know. And Jesus looks at Judas and he says, "You're going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Talk about an intimate and talk about ultimate betrayal. you following that? I thought about that for a minute and just thought, you know what, Judas, Judas kissed the face of God. Judas kissed the face of salvation, and yet Judas went to hell. So close, and so much opportunity, and yet he rejected Jesus, and he's in the flames of hell today. Not only was he betrayed by Judas, but he was denied by Peter. You can look in verse 15. and We're going to spend more time on these next week, Lord willing, or in a couple of weeks. We'll see where this goes. But, but he was denied by Peter. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest. And then verse 16 says, Peter stood without the door. Then went out that other disciple, which was known of the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, art, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And you know the story of Peter. Three times he rejected the Lord, denied the Lord. Here was a man who swore allegiance to Jesus Christ. He said, Though all others will leave you and depart from you, I'll stand with you, Jesus, even to death. And he was the one who denied him publicly. As a man, that certainly had to touch the heart of Jesus Christ. Being rejected and denied by people who said they loved Him. I was reading in Luke, and I was reminded of this, in this, of this same scene. But Luke 22 and verse 60, the Bible says, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew and verse 61 says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And what kind of look Jesus had on his face when he turned to look at Peter. So are you following this here? You know how it is when people you trust People who say they love you. People you've had a relationship with. They turn on you. For some reason, they reject you. You know what that feels like? In the heart and in the soul. Jesus understood human emotion. Jesus was betrayed. He was denied by people who said they loved Him. And ultimately, Jesus was rejected by the nation of Israel. Verse 38, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all, but ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You can read in the other Gospels how The mob, the Jews said, crucify Him, crucify Him. His blood be upon our head. When Jesus came into this world, He came as the Messiah. He came according to the Scriptures. He came according to the will of God. He came to establish the kingdom of God in this world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And yet when He came... The Bible says in John 1, chapter 1 and verse 11, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He was rejected by the nation of Israel. But here's the point in all of this. And what's amazing is that men still are guilty of doing the very same thing to Jesus Christ today. Israel and Judas, they rejected Jesus out of pure unbelief. Peter denied Jesus in a moment of fleshliness and weakness. But every day in this world, and maybe even today in this room, people reject Jesus in an effort to continue on in a life of sin that they've made for themselves for just a few days more. Some people reject the truth concerning Jesus Christ because they love their darkness. But whatever the reason men reject Jesus Christ or salvation that's offered through him, it's a foolish reason. It's not worth dying and going to hell for. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, your soul is the most valuable thing and there's nothing in this life that is worth rejecting Jesus Christ over and losing your soul. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved and you're resisting the call of the Spirit of God and resisting the truth concerning Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to respond and yield to Him. Don't be foolish. Once you leave this life, friend, there's no more opportunity. There's no more chance for your soul. Even in the middle of rejection, Jesus maintained His dignity. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, don't reject Jesus Christ. To be saved is simply repenting of your sin toward God. Trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your soul's salvation. We see Jesus in his deity. We see his dignity. And I want you to look at verse 37. Lastly, we see Jesus' destiny. In verse 37, the Bible says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into this world. That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. This is a wonderful verse. In this verse, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. But Jesus makes it very clear to Pilate that he came to this world not to live, but to die. And it tells us something. It tells us that there had to be a cross that Jesus would go to. He's about to go to the cross. It tells us that this is something that had to happen. He said, for this cause came I into this world. There had to be a cross. Jesus plainly states that his purpose in coming to the world was to go to the cross and die. And for many people, many people don't want to receive that. They want to reject that. They don't understand that that without the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no possible way for your soul to be right with God. They They want to hold on to their religion. Their religion that tells them that their church membership or their baptisms or their profession of faith in Christ or their doing good works is where it's at. But only the blood of Jesus Christ, only the blood of the sinless one would pay for our sin's penalty. I don't know, we sang the song this morning. Was it Nothing But the Blood? What song did we sing this morning? Power in the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Nothing but the blood would suffice. And I'm saying this, it took the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to open the way of salvation for you and me. He had to suffer. He had to die. It was the only way that fallen men could be right with God. Jesus said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus said, if there was another way, we could do that. But there isn't another way, and I want to submit to your will. Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of your sin is death. You will either pay for your own sin, being separated from God for eternity, or you can trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ who paid your sin debt for you. There had to be a cross. There was no other way. Jesus said, For this cause came I into the world. Not only that, but notice the end of verse 37. He said that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Not only there have to be a cross, but there also had to be a call? He said, everyone who's of the truth, heareth my voice. Jesus made it clear that the call of God was truth. He said, if you're going to be of the truth, you're going to hear my voice and you'll believe. And and the application is this. As men walk through this world, God calls to them through His Spirit. When you hear God's voice... You can respond to him with with submission and humility and be saved by his grace, or you can reject his call and ultimately pay the penalty for your own sin in the lake of fire. In John 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into this world. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. It tells us that God calls to every man at some point. Jesus said, if you're of the truth, you're going to hear my voice. I'm asking the question today, what will you do with the call to come to Christ? If you're here today and not saved, He's calling. His Spirit is working in you to draw you to Himself. What are you going to do with the call? Maybe you've heard the gospel message many, many, many times before but you've never been saved. Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, is trying to still work in your heart today. Maybe this morning you feel Him calling you to come. You feel that tug on your heart. The uncomfortable feeling in your soul. That's the Spirit of God calling to you. What are you going to do with that call? You've got a choice to make. To reject Jesus Christ or to submit to Jesus Christ. In all that we see through John chapter 18, all the injustices, Jesus never once complained. Jesus never once cried out for His freedom. He suffered it all for you and for me. He did it because of God's plan for the redemption of mankind. Jesus was not a victim. Of anything that he suffered he was the master and praise the lord amen Amen. that he did it all for you and for me if you're saved today thank the lord for your salvation he suffered in your place if you're here today and you're not saved he suffered in your place receive him let's pray heavenly father pray that you'd use your word in jesus name we pray